We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. The podcast today presented by DirecTV Stream. Get your TV together with the best of live and on demand. Learn more at directtv.com. We're starting the show today with a guest and a friend, Howard Gutman, the uh, many-year ambassador under Barack Obama's presidency to Belgium, um, has been on the show before. Uh, Howard's become a friend over the years, a listener to the podcast and the radio show, and a huge, a huge D.C. sports fan. Uh, and we've had Howard on before uh, just with compelling stories. I remember the first time you came on the podcast, how much incredible feedback there was to it. But I asked you sort of last minute, so I appreciate you coming on, to come on today to talk about everything that happened um, at the league meetings yesterday. And just to summarize for everybody before we get to Howard's reaction, um, for those that missed it, Roger Goodell, league meetings yesterday in New York, lots of the conversation was about the Washington football team and the Beth Wilkinson investigation and whether or not the league would be more transparent and release the findings or release the you know report, which there isn't a written report of. Um, there were two uh, things that the commissioner said specifically uh, that were um, interesting with respect to um, uh, his position and the league's position. First of all, uh, he did say that um, they're not going to uh, release anything more, and he emphasized the security and privacy and anonymity of the people who participated in Beth Wilkinson's investigation. And then um, when talked about or when asked about uh, specifically about the accountability of Dan Snyder, Goodell said, quote, I do think he's been held accountable. I think the organization has been held accountable. I think we've given an unprecedented fine. Dan Snyder has not been involved with the organization for now almost four months and we obviously are focused more on making sure that policies will be maintained and that we can ensure that will uh, that will happen with this organization, essentially saying uh, that the protocols and policies that were put in place will prevent any of this from happening again. But him saying that the organization and Dan were held accountable and mentioning that Dan had not been involved with the organization for now almost four months um, was uh, a bit of a reveal. He didn't go to the lengths of calling it a suspension. But Howard Gutman joins us now. Um, and I 
thought about you this morning and thought about, you know, calling you super early to have you on the show, but I didn't want to do that. So um, uh, let's do it here on the podcast. What did you make of how Roger Goodell handled the onslaught of questions yesterday from reporters about the situation here? So, Kevin, first, this doesn't come from my uh, ambassadorship for Obama, nor am I being a fan but from my 27 years as a leading Washington attorney, including years back when Ed Williams owned the team, I worked at Williams and Connolly. Right. So when Edward Bennett Williams owned the team, working as a counsel for the team, I've known Jeff Pash, the general counsel of the NFL, is a buddy of mine since 1977, the first day of law school. And then Beth Wilkinson and I co-counseled criminal cases as far back as 2000. So I kind of know the players and, and, and a bit of what they're in. And Goodell tried his best. Uh, and I know the plaintiff's sexual harassment bar, Lisa Banks and Deborah Katz, and I've had cases against them. So this is a predictable pattern. And I'm sure my buddy Jeff Pash was telling Roger Goodell, just talk about putting things in place for the different clubs to make sure that going forward the league has sexual harassment protection and that things are on a good footing. But Goodell slipped twice, and it's a major problem. First, how did he get in this mess? Well, uh, Lisa Banks is trying to maintain lawsuits against the club. I imagine she did not get the discovery she needs to prove the pattern of sexual harassment to the level she needs. But you know if you can get those emails coming out, you basically have... What are, what are NFL front offices? They are NFL locker rooms, which were fraternities, uh, and then they got older, but they didn't necessarily mature. So emails with new pictures on it or emails with things that we would say is uh, not the woke culture today or not politically correct, they're going to be there everywhere, and a plaintiff's lawyer will have a field day. And it won't only be with the Redskins. It will then flip, I guarantee you, to the Patriots, do you think Robert Kraft or Jerry Jones look much better? Um, the coaches there will also be a problem. So the league, the league consists of 32 basically rich white men or the daughters of rich white men in, in Benson's case, um, who are doing their best to protect the most valuable franchise because of their product. Uh, and they would like to say they, they know they get it. They get it today the way Al Franken gets it today and the way um, you know, that it's a different culture. You don't compliment people's dress. You don't hug anymore. They get it. They'll get it clean going forward. Uh, they'll have their fun elsewhere if they ever regard that as fun. But they don't want it unraveling looking backwards. And that's what Roger Goodell needed to avoid. And he made two major slips. All right. Name, so, name the two major slips. First, he said the reason we didn't have the Beth Wilkinson report is to protect the victims. I guarantee you Pash passed out on the floor and they've been trying to revive him since because that just Lisa Banks will now uh, have victim by victim saying, I want it released. Right. And he had got he had gotten his tamper down. The Danny got rewarded. He got his minority shareholders knocked out. He got the league to lend him the money to take over the club. He was in stronger position, and this had died down until the John Gruden, Bruce Allen emails came out, and then that's when Deborah Katz and Lisa Banks saw the opening. Maybe we still have a shot at getting to these emails, 
um, and they decided to use the league meeting to put pressure. And then uh, if you just said, look, we're not releasing them because we're looking forward, it would have ended. Once you said we couldn't release it to protect your clients, uh, Lisa Banks is going to eat Roger Goodell, you know, start on the seat and go to the top of the head because they're not doing this to protect Lisa Banks's clients. They're not doing it uh, to protect the the women who uh, were brought these allegations. They crossed that line already. Those women when they hired lawyers and decided to go forward. That's number one. Right, number be, two. Be, before you get yep. to number two, I, I want to stick with number one. There's another mistake that Roger Goodell mentioned uh, made yesterday that you want to focus on, and I do want to get to number two. But I want to start with number one. A couple of questions. First of all, do you believe Roger Goodell that the people that stepped forward to be interviewed for the Beth Wilkinson investigation did request anonymity? I believe certain ones did. The, obviously, that $1.6 million settlement involving the airplane, that one's been tampered down for a long time. That that person probably wants to move on and, and have anonymity. But you could have released the report um, without uh, casting undue light. Uh, and for most of the people, some... They, this is their moment in the sun. You know, they've gone after, they've claimed they've been abused or the like. And for the rest, this won't be the first report of sexual harassment in a public company or the like. And they talk about complainant number one, and they hide the details enough. That's right. And they talk, you know, they and that's all you do. So this won't hold, that argument won't hold up for Roger Goodell. I'm surprised if it's still standing today. But it's not unusual in these cases for people who are interviewed or questioned to feel um, compelled to keep their name out of it. That's not an unusual uh, situation in sexual harassment or sexual assault cases. So it's very possible that some of these women did. But that leads me to what you just were uh, implying. Why couldn't they just redact the names? Of course they could, and if you say, well, uh, you'll be able to tell from the other information, you make the other information as general as needed to protect. So you don't say one woman who headed public relations. You say an employee of the club said this or felt this uh, or or reported this. In the stewardess, in the airplane case, that becomes a little more difficult, um, but... It that becomes me, it, it becomes me more difficult because clearly there was a one point six million dollar settlement that had to include some sort of confidentiality and perpetuity, right? Yes, and that did, and that person I think wants the confidentiality, and um, but but that person is not the person on which the entire Beth Wilkinson report gets quashed by. There is no way the argument stands up. That the reason the NFL wanted to, Beth wanted to write the report. Of course, Beth wanted to write the report. She spent over a year investigating. She took, read hundreds of thousands of emails. She took depositions, uh, and she didn't want to write a report. So obviously, Beth wanted to write the report. Uh, once Beth wanted to write the report, someone had to tell her not to. And do you think that was Roger Goodell without talking to the other owners saying? I think it would violate the anonymity of some of these complainants. Like, that won't stand up, Kevin. 
So I want to come back to the written report versus, you know, no written report versus the oral presentation versus what she may still have, um, you know, in her possession with respect to the investigation. But on the comment that we were just talking about, the first mistake that you think Roger Goodell made by, you know, saying that they were trying to protect those that stepped forward for the to be questioned for the investigation, protecting their anonymity. We understand that they could easily redact names. They could easily, you know, present it in a way that didn't, you know, put any risk on these uh, interviewees slash victims of having their name released. So given that he said this, you said Lisa Banks will eat him alive. How? How will that happen moving forward? This was dying down, but Lisa Banks got two Congress uh, representatives to to send the letter over the bow to say we care about this. That wasn't a subpoena. It wasn't enough to get things going. But now that Lisa Banks said the NFL said they will release the report, it's just they want waivers from the plaintiffs. Lisa Banks is going to have a you know have a presentation of the waivers from the plaintiffs. She's going to be at every podium at every week meeting saying. The, the victims demand justice, and the league is trying to hide behind the victims. There, that's the end of that argument. So Roger Dale is going to have to at some point say, no, I don't really mean that. I mean, we're moving forward. Pay no attention to what I said <laughs> right. yesterday. Well, she could also say that because it's possible not every – person that was interviewed would then say to Lisa, no, 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 they can use my name. But all she's got to ask for is redactions of names, that these that that her clients are fine with their names being redacted and the inf- and everything else being included um, in uh, in a presentation publicly uh, as to the findings. I mean, she doesn't even there really need a, them to waive it. There wasn't a doubt. There was not a doubt that the names would have been redacted anyway. They would not have said Mary right. Ellen Jones in any event. That's not how Beth would write the report. She'd say we interviewed uh, 27 former female employees, 17 reported that at the um, at the front office at Alex Santos, or I, I, I don't know anybody did anything, but at the within it there were two young assistants who made these kind of rude comments. Uh, that was known, reported, ex- compl- three of them complained. You won't know who. It will give you the culture. It will give you the atmosphere. It will tell you what's going on to the extent that that was a problem, to the extent when Bruce Allen said the, cu- the culture is quite good, he meant something different by quite good, I guess. Yeah. Um, but um, so, but that, so what will what happen when, when she presents – all of these waivers of anonymity, no, they're not concerned about that. You can use their names or you can use the information in redacted form. How will the commissioner respond to that? So his job is going to depend on moving forward. And the commissioner is going to say, the le- at some point he's got to say, one of two things can happen. The commissioner could say, the league has decided to move forward, end of story, we're not doing it, and try to tough it out. But now he's got a chink in the armor. Now the Hill has a little more momentum. Now Lisa Banks has more momentum. For the first time, if you asked me yesterday, before this, do I think there's a chance that Dan Snyder loses the club? I'd say zero. I'd say now this process could get away from them. It could unravel. We might be up to 20%. 
We're not up to 80%. We're not up to what the fan base would have wanted, but maybe 20% that this unravels, it spins out of control. And it could be that, that, you know, sacrificial lambs exist. It might be, I hope it's not my friend Jeff Pash that they've said they've changed the league council and they're, they're putting these new steps into place. Um, but they've got to put this fire back out and it, once you have a fire you think you can contain, that means you might not be able to contain. If they can't contain it, the emails could start coming out. If the emails start coming out, even though they won't specifically have Daniel Snyder doing A or B, believe me, by the end, um, they'll, they'll need some sort of change. He's a special master at the Washington Redskins. A, a four-month suspension that he can deny the suspension that his wife runs the club that won't be enough to if these emails start coming out. Well, you raised it from zero to twenty, and by the way, you're zero yesterday. Uh, I, I think, even though there there are reasons to hope um, because of the last couple of weeks, I don't know if it was zero, but I would have had mine close to zero. Um, but it's at twenty percent in part because let's just say they are successful in having some more of this information released. There still has to be something that ties him to something untoward. Yeah, and I don't actually think they've got. Uh, let's take the one point six million case out. Everything else we've ever heard involves bad management and actions of others. That's right. Alex Santos or, or front office and bad management. Um, and by the way, I have no, you know, I've known this community pretty well. I have no reason to think Daniel Snyder ever engaged in sexual harassment. It's not, he's not kind of one of the boys that way. He's kind of excluded from being one of the boys in, in that locker room a little bit. So I don't think it's there. But if the management looks so, if the stories look bad, if the emails are rampant, um, where, you know, it took, how long did it take for an email to come out for John Gruden to go from, I'm sorry, I'm not a racist, to I need a new job? Uh, these spin heavily, uh, you know, uh, on a management world. It, it could just be, do we get to Jerry Richardson? I don't know, but it could be where they just say, Dan, it's going to bleed from you to the Patriots and from the Patriots to the Cowboys. We're sorry. we got to end it now. You're going overboard. Um, it's a club of 32. The club of 32 is the jury. They can decide what they like. Right. I think that the, the one thing, and I think you and I have even talked about this or maybe emailed back and forth about this in the past, is that, you know, they've got, you know, the, the, I, I am sure that there are many owners who say, we need this guy out. He's ruined one of our most potentially lucrative markets but it's the it's the threat of long-term litigation and the there for the grace of god go i that they have not gone through with it but before we get to more of that and the second mistake you think goodell made with through as he as he commented on the punishment for snyder this beth wilkinson report so she's in the middle of doing the investigation, and at some point, as you described, they say, we don't want a written report. How, first of all, I'm curious, how typical is it that somebody, has, a law firm is hired to conduct an inv- investigation, and there's no written conclusion to this? Um, I was a lawyer for 27 years. Uh, and I've been I've been uh, following this world a lot longer. I have never 
literally never heard it. Um, you know, sometimes you get hired that no one knows you're doing it, and they say, take a look and let us know if we should engage you for a report. And the person comes back and says, look, it, it'll get ugly if I go do it, and they'll say, never mind. But if they go to having the entire world know of a report, waiting on edge, what's taking best so long, and we know what took so long. Her team reviewed well over, it's more than 650,000, it's millions of emails. They took depositions. They spoke to lots of people. I still don't understand yeah. Jay Gruden saying he wasn't contacted. I'm sure somebody would have covered Jay Gruden. Um, but they, they did all this. It is mind-boggling to say we don't want the written report. Um, nobody's ever asked, was there a draft? No one's ever asked, how extensive are the notes? No one's ever asked, were the depositions transcribed? Of course they were. So um, it's there, and then the question is, are they forced? If this unravels, again, it's a 20% chance, but if it unravels, are they forced to now say, okay, we, we the NFL, are getting ahead of this. We're going to request Beth to write the report. Well, Could she, that happen? Um, yep. Or just however she presented it to um, – was it to Lisa Friel? I'm starting to forget some of the the figures uh, in in this. Whether it was to to Goodell or Lisa Friel um, or whomever it was in the league office that had the findings of the Beth Wilkinson investigation presented to them, whatever that presentation was. I mean, she probably didn't just go in there and you know give it completely orally without any notes or without any you know overheads or any powerpoint or something to sort of assist the presentation i would think some of that would exist totally totally look if they wanted this released in any form that's Wilkinson will prepare it it's it, it exists plenty. Now, again, we don't know that it says anything specific against Snyder, but it will paint a bad at, uh, atmosphere of what was prevailing in the clubhouse and what was prevailing in the front office. And then the question is, can the person where, where the buck normally stops, the CEO, the head of it, can he survive that by saying, I just didn't know, or wasn't it his job to know? And... And the problem is, if he goes, does the plaintiff's bar then start getting uh, an allegation from New England or Atlanta? You know, and off you go. You know, you're coming to a conclusion here that I've kind of come to recently. You know, whatever happened on that plane ride back from the Country Music Awards um, on that plane that resulted in a $1.6 million settlement with a woman who was on the plane, that's obviously very interesting um, because the Post did report it it involved some sort of harassment, you know, with Dan Snyder on the plane and potentially involved. But putting that aside, if that never sees the light of day, I think this is just... This is just a, a gut feel based on the environment that we are in right now, the environment we've been in, including during the Beth Wilkinson investigation. I just sort of feel like if there really was something there, um, whether it was racial or homophobic or transphobic or misogynistic, really tying Dan Snyder to something that was just completely out of order, 
that was him, not him overseeing an organization that had that culture, but him. I just find it, I know 10 years ago, five years ago, the league could have covered it up in the whole thing, but the risk of covering that up in this environment and then having it come out down the road would have been incredibly damaging to a league that really doesn't get damaged by much. But I really think if something were there, am I being naive to think that if something actually really was there, that they would have used it to get rid of them? I, I agree with you. In fact, when I read the Post argument uh, articles, I kept looking for what there was. Right. And they had the they had the airplane, and then they had fight night, and that was the most absurd. That Dan Snyder had a sweet fight night, and he invited people back up. Everybody who who smokes a cigar in Washington because <laughs> they think they're a bigwig rents a suite at fight night and invites everyone back up to their suite. To show all their cigars. I mean, well, so that, that, that the report, best they had. Yeah, that report, remember, not to interrupt, but that report suggested that he tried to hook up one of his cheerleaders with his buddy. But that was a he said, she said situation. So, again, but but continue. Yeah, but but even the he said, she said, she said, he said, why don't I go back to, his, to the suite afterwards? Uh, he has a great suite, and his buddy will be there. Yeah. Well, I mean, so will, so will, you know, attendance and all the friends. It wasn't like the buddy was going to do anything untoward there. Um, so may, maybe he, he gets accused of inviting someone. Do you want to have a, you know, go to a, a crowded suite uh, and have hors d'oeuvres afterwards? It's my big suite and my buddy will be there. That's about as bad as that one. And if that makes the paper, if that were the standard, a lot of people would be in trouble in this town. Especially on fight night. <laughs> yeah, Especially on at, fight night. At the Washington Joe Hilton. Um, <laughs> I, meant to, I went to many of them, yes. Uh, yeah, I, I, I just, like I've said it so many times here and on the radio show, I just, I guess my gut just tells me the same thing it tells you, and that is if honestly there was something there that was really bad that the owners would look so awful for not taking action against him and and forcing him out, I just think we would have known it. Maybe 15 years ago, 10 years ago, they would have thought we can get away with covering this up, and but but not in this environment. I I, I just that would have been a, a big risk for them. Now, um, back to the to, to the report with with Beth Wilkinson. Two things. One, just out of curiosity, what what do you think she and her team were paid for this investigation? I'm just curious. Well, Beth is a, a thousand a thousand thirteen hundred an hour. Yeah. Um, I suspect it was. I suspect the the fees probably were in the in the seven to ten million dollar range. Okay, so when they said we don't want a written report for seven to ten million bucks, yeah, no, no problem at all, right? Even a Beth Wilkinson, they'll throw, they'll throw it in. It probably only costs another three hundred thousand to put it on paper. You're ready, <laughs> and yes, that's exactly it. Um, all right, let's move to the next mistake that Goodell uh, you think made yesterday. Go ahead. Right, and this one, he's gotten by all the media, and he's actually gotten by the plaintiff's bar as well. Everyone says, well, at least they got a substantial fine. And 
That was the substantial fine showed that they took action. So Goodell said yesterday, we did punish Danny. Now, the interesting part was he says he's been gone for four months. So that gave us the suspension that was never declared a suspension. But forget that. But everyone said, well, at least there was a $10 million fine. There was no $10 million fine. When Tom Wilson punches someone in the nose, the league fines him $10 million. He writes a check to the league. His bank account gets deducted by $10 million, and he's lost money he otherwise wouldn't have spent. When a player gets fined for not showing to training camp, he loses money that would have been his. He no longer can spend it. What happened was the league said, this year you've got to make charitable contributions of at least $10 million to these particular causes. So the question is, first of all, it was organization, not Dan. Second of all, we don't know how much they spend each year on charitable contributions, but I suspect it's, it's a more lot. than $10 million. Yeah, it's, 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 it's all tax deductible. Of course, we everybody okay, makes okay. charitable contributions for, for tax reasons and other reasons, too. But, yeah. But, but they do it to help causes. So of course. this year, it, they just had to make sure certain of their causes <laughs> met the broad categories. So it was a... It was a a direction that when you spend, if you spend $25 million a year on charitable causes, make sure 10 of it is about understanding um, gender needs, sensitivity to gender. It was a direction of their charity that became a fine that was a sanction, and no one's sitting there saying, where's the fine? Yeah. And so now if Goodell, if Goodell is staking that we did punish Danny on the fine, he should have at least fined the guy. Because now Lisa Banks said, what's $10 million? It's a slap on the wrist. It wasn't $10 million. It wasn't a slap on the wrist. A slap on the wrist would have at least been a slap on the wrist. This was redirecting their charitable contributions to fit a certain definition. Yeah, and, it, and again, it's tax deductible. And tax deductible, for sure. It's um, tax deductible, and it's necessary. They broadcast every year how much they've given to local causes. That's part of what what sports teams do, and they should. So, okay, so you think he made a big mistake, um, not necessarily on the fine thing, which, by the way, slips past a lot of people, and that's very good clarification on the fact that it really wasn't a fine. It was a requirement to donate $10 million to a few charities. And I think in the actual statement you know, that the league made back on July 1st with respect to the $10 million, they actually outlined what – um, it would be used for. In fact, I just found it here. The $10 million fine will be used charitably, the league announced, and it will be applied to support organizations committed to character education, anti-bullying, healthy relationships, and related topics. They will also fund programs directed more broadly at improving the workplace, particularly for women and other un, uh, underrepresented groups in training and development programs, et cetera, et cetera. But back to the four-month Um, comment where Roger Goodell says, I think the organization has been held accountable. I think we've given an unprecedented fine. So he, he, he described it as a fine. Um, Dan Snyder has not, has not been involved with the organization now almost four months. So just so you know, and you may know this already, 
when people back in July, when the league made its statement, which, by the way, the summary of the of the, the Wilkinson report that the league put out on July 1st was a pretty damning summary. You know, they really did rip into the organization for a toxic culture that, you know, outlined sexual harassment issues, outlined bullying and intimidation. It was not like, hey, the the investigation is over and we're putting procedures in place to make sure that some of the things that, uh, that uh, Beth found never happen again. It was a damning summary. It wasn't enough. I'm not suggesting that, but it was a damning summary. But back to the four-month um, thing where Roger Goodell says he's not been involved with the organization now for almost four months. Dan back then, Howard, s- had people calling, lawyers and PR people calling people like Tom Lavero to say, do not describe Dan Snyder being suspended. He was not suspended. So what did the commissioner reveal yesterday that he has not been involved with the organization for now almost four months? What was that? What did he reveal there? And it's, and it's fascinating because what happened was they said, Dan, um, if you're going to hang on to this club, you've got to be fined and you've got to be suspended. And Dan had to push back. And so the fine said it became, we'll contribute to um, causes that sounded like the Boys and Girls Clubs of America, and I suspect they probably, or United Way will cover it. I suspect they give more than $10 million a year to United Way or the Boys and Girls Clubs of America. So in, you, you say we're being fined, but it's actually a charitable contribution to where we give already. And then I'm going to look for, for a new stadium, so I'm pretty busy. I'm going to step away from the day-to-day voluntarily because I'm doing so well heading the stadium search, uh, that's getting that's that's getting great traction for the team. But you cannot say I've been suspended and I'm going to deny it. And they compromised on that. They compromised because obviously he had me forced out. So what we know is the league found a really toxic culture. And instead of being able to actually say, here's what we're doing, we're not taking the team from him because he didn't have personal misconduct. We are suspending the Snyders for a year. They cannot enter Redskin Park, WFT Park, uh, for a year. Uh, and we're fining them $25 million to be paid for the league and by, by them, and the league in turn will pay. You would have all said, the media would have all said, he kept his club, he survived, but at least the league took the conduct seriously. Dan pushed back. You can tell he pushed back. The suspension became a voluntary leave, the the day-to-day running was transferred to his wife. Unless his wife um, has that great football background, I don't think anything changed there. Maybe she sits next to Sonny on the sidelines. But, you know, what's changing there? Um, and they couldn't even call it a suspension. So Dan's lawyers did a great job, or the threat of litigation, or Jerry Jones having his back. They negotiated a compromise to try to placate the media and the plaintiff's bar while placating the owners. And will that hold up after yesterday? I don't think so. This is the part that's maddening to me because it was my initial reaction on July 1st. If this actually were some sort of suspension, and that was the goal of the league, it benefited the league to announce it as a suspension. It be- it would have benefited Dan 
to have been suspended for six months or a year. You know, the the immediate reaction to $10 million and co- uh, a co-CEO in Tanya Snyder was this is a wrist slap. This is, this is not a, a, a punishment that fits what you described in your summary of the Beth Wilkinson investigation. This is bullshit. Like, why wouldn't the league say, Dan... This is better for us for it to look like we are taking what what Beth Wilkinson found very seriously by having an unprecedented fine or, as you've described, charitable, uh, you know, donation. But to also really giving this some teeth by announcing that you've been suspended. Now, a suspension of an, of an owner, what does that really mean? He, you know, I, he, he can't, he, he's at home talking to Ron Rivera and Jason Wright and other people. He can't be in the building. He can't go to games, whatever it means. I'll get to that in a moment. But it would have benefited all of the parties. Now, I understand the arrogance and the, you know, the it's not my fault mentality of Dan and Tanya. We've, we've, we've lived this for 20 years. It's never their fault. And they don't think this is their fault. You know, they, they blame it on Bruce um, and and anybody else that's come you know along uh, during his ownership but my god Howard this would have been look they I'm not saying that Lisa Banks and company would have ever given up but and the reaction probably would have been this still isn't enough it should have been a three-year suspension or whatever but it would have benefited them to look like they were taking this more seriously with respect to the punishment so why didn't they do it well, they don't have that judgment, but they're not used to it. The only thing that could have been done better is for Dan Snyder earnestly to say, you know, I looked at the report by Beth Wilkinson, and I'm horrified. And I can have lots of excuses that it wasn't me, but it's my organization. I am embarrassed. I am horrified. Uh, I accept the suspension uh, gratefully. Um, I'm, I accept the fine, and I can just vow to the fans that the Washington football team will do better. That's all he had to do. Oh, my God, you're so because right. Because that's what the report was. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, it, it but he, he's, he's incapable of doing that. He's incapable of looking in the mirror and saying, I'm the problem. This has been their M.O. It's never their fault. You could hear it in Tanya's voice on that podcast she did with Adam Schefter. They don't think any, by the way, just a quick digression, and I've, I've talked about this a lot with Tommy. The amazing part of them trying to keep their distance from the culture issues and trying to put it all on Bruce Allen is most of these allegations are from before Bruce Allen was even in the organization and when Dan supposedly had more day-to-day involvement. Um, that, but, that, but that aside... What you what you just said would have gone so much further. It wouldn't have stopped, you know, Beth, uh, you know, Lisa Banks and all of the women from you know continuing to demand for more transparency and even more punishment and even loss of team. But that's all they had to do on July first. I've read it, and he's been just yeah, and I accept the suspension. He surrounds himself with single fans who just say, no, Dan, you're great. If he ever, look, if he ever hired a lawyer, either Beth or I did this for 27 years, that conversation with the corporate exec, they get it. Someone should have served him right by saying, Dan, let's not look for the way out. Let's look for the way better. That's just, it's just not that hard. But he's, who's going to tell him that? Bruce? Now, presumably Jason Wright, 
Um, and, and Ron Rivera could. I just, and I think Jason Wright, you know, has the stones to do it. I just don't know where, where that process has been. Um, but somebody needed to do that. Uh, Danny's not the first owner to have made a lot of money on a great entrepreneurial idea, uh, but didn't have the organizational skills and didn't have the, 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 the sort of maturity to lead an organization. But they can learn. Um, but he's never been served. It's not going to happen when he's going out, you know, barbecuing with, with Bruce Allen and having a great time. Well, he's or, not, he's know, not having a good time with him anymore. They hate each other. And I want to get to the, <laughs> I want to get to the leaks and the emails here in a moment. But it really is this. This is why for all of you, you know, or for the few of you, very few of you that hope that one day, you know, he changes. You had the opportunity in July to say uh, what, what Howard just said, I accept the suspension is it's an appropriate suspension and we're going to, and we're looking forward to continue to, 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 to ensure that these things never happen again. It's why we've hired Jason Wright and good men like Jason and Ron Rivera and Marty Herney and Martin Mayhew. And it's one of the reasons that my wife is going to be much more involved in the day. There were so many opportunities, but he actually doubled down. He actually had his henchmen calling reporters saying he wasn't fined and he wasn't suspended, so don't say it. Like he was too arrogant and too completely lacking in self-awareness to understand that that actually would have helped him to, for people to have believed that he was suspended. It's unbelievable to me. So where do you think the email leaks came from? Um. We we don't know. Obviously, it would look like um, that Dan feels you know Bruce Bruce needed to be buried more and 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 did retribution against Bruce. A lawyer has said it hasn't come from Dan. You know, I, I was a lawyer for twenty seven years. I tend to think lawyers don't make that statement unless they know. Um, and I don't know the level of grudges. Is there an Alex Santos grudge? Is there, a, uh, you know, at that level, there could be, this was a toxic, uh, I don't think you know, Alex Santos would have had access to the emails, though. But he may, uh, he well, may some have, of those, Oh, some of those emails were, you know, those chain emails where they circulate a picture and this was a Redskin cheerleader with just the bikini bombs or something. Um, you know, in the 1990s, you, you couldn't hit the leak fast enough when, uh, when those things were circulating. I'm, I suspect if you look at sports talk radio, and you know, you'll find find things that people are saying. I hope they don't see my emails. You know, it's back then. Um, well, so my, I don't know. my emails don't are know. among the six hundred and fifty thousand that 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 were reviewed <laughs> because we had a Redskins address. We did as Red Zebra members, all of us. I mean, you know, me and Zabe and Andy and and Doc and Cooley and and Galdi and CJ Scotland. We all had addresses. They'll only find major defenses of Kirk Cousins from me and some very pro Mike go. Shanahan stances along the way. Um, You've said something, though. You said that this lawyer who came out on behalf, Dan's lawyer, who said he unequivocally is not the source of the leaks. He didn't. That, 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 so you, you, you believe that a lawyer wouldn't have said that without absolutely knowing. But it certainly could have come from a Dan Snyder camp member. Maybe Snyder didn't actually specifically leak the emails 
um, too, by the way, and I don't know if you've listened um, recently, but Andrew Beaton, the reporter at the Wall Street Journal, who wrote the puff piece on Snyder in June, you know, Tommy uh, immediately said, this is the dude that broke the story on Friday night, the the first email from uh, Gruden to Bruce Allen, the one that described Damora Smith as Damora Smith and referred to him as having Michelin tire-sized lips. That first email that started the snowball that weekend was um, was reported by the same guy that wrote the puff piece in the Wall Street Journal on Dan Snyder. And the motivation, Snyder hates Bruce Allen. And any, and any collateral damage, especially a good friend of his, he couldn't care less about. And people have, have said to me, but Sheehan, don't you think he would have realized that this would have just rekindled the conversation? I don't. I think he has done over the years so many things, Howard, that have been so impulsive you know, and so emotional without thinking through how it plays out down the road. We've seen many examples of it over the years. I would ask you that let's just assume for a moment that Snyder or somebody in Snyder's camp was the 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 source of these leaked emails. What kind of problem would that pose to him with the other 31 owners? So there's a saying that when you're in a hole, stop digging. Yeah. And first, leaking the email would have been a dig. If he denied now, because he got asked, I'm sure he got asked by by the league, how did these emails get out? And if he said I, that I didn't release them and, you know, instead it was uh, his next-door neighbor or his son or a member of his camp, he's going to give them every excuse now to say, Dan, you have no one to blame but yourself. And what they need, what they need is a way for Jerry Jones or Robert Kraft to say, Dan did something different than I would have done, and now I can throw him overboard and I don't go with him. As long as these owners have are chained at the ankles to each other, and if they throw Dan overboard, then the next guy falls overboard and the next guy falls overboard, Dan has to stay on the boat. But if, for example, he started leaking emails to get back at his uh, former head of his club um, who, and reignited the whole investigation, and they did everything to save him, and now, Dan, now we can't, can no longer do it because look what you've done. You've got no one to blame but yourself. That's the operative provision for when we get new ownership. When the other 31 can say, now he has no one to blame for himself, but himself, they can't say that with a with a toxic environment, because I suspect there are other toxic environments in that league. But nobody would make these foolish mistakes, they would say. Yeah, I mean, we keep coming back to the same thing, right? Unless there's really something horribly awful, um, there are other situations in the league that the owners uh, would fear. And, by the way, with this guy, they understand they'd be tied up in court for a long period of time if they tried to take his team away from him. And what usually fixes it when you get in these situations on sports franchises is there's endless people who will put up the money, and the person involved doesn't want the limelight, doesn't want to take the incoming anymore. There is nothing you can say about Dan Snyder anymore. He's taken it all. He's got nothing to lose. So normally, you know, if there's investigation and Jerry, this is going to get uglier and just step out and they're going to learn more and more, just step out and we'll get you a great price. Steve Ballmer or someone will put up the cash and we'll 
get you the highest price ever for a sports franchise. And you can say, you know, it's tax planning for your kids and estate planning the way the Cooks did. But, but for him, what are they going to entice him? What are we going to save you? Your reputation is never coming back. Your only hope is we get a Super Bowl, and that's going to be your quarterback. So that's not happening either. I mean, it really is. It's like I I wonder. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's the. Um, I mean, we were talking about Deshaun Watson on the radio show this morning, and I just said, look, like, what what hit could the organization take to drop them any lower than they already are? Now, obviously, I wouldn't trade two firsts and a second and a third for Deshaun Watson without understanding how all of these cases were going to be settled and whether or not he was going to be able to play or whether or not he was going to be in jail or how Goodell and the league was going to handle suspension. Obviously, you need answers to all those things. But, you know, in terms of the PR hit, and this would be the one organization you would say can't have Deshaun Watson. Um, and yet it's like actually the only thing that's got a chance to save him and save this organization is a quarterback that can lead the team to, you know, a series of winning seasons, which I think Deshaun Watson, if he's in his right mind, could do. But, the, you know, it gets back to this, Howard. Like, I don't know. I always think about it from a people perspective. I know he lacks self-awareness. I know how delusional they are as to their standing in the market. But I was told by a really solid source a couple of years ago, and I've talked a lot about it over the years, that you know, three, four, five years ago, they did a, a poll. It was an internal poll, not internal in terms of you know people polled, but it was an internal um, conducted poll. Um, and two of the questions asked were, what is your opinion of Bruce Allen and what is your op- opinion of Dan Snyder? They wanted some sort of sense of a favorability rating, if you will, um, of, of both, because at the time, I think in their own mind, they thought that it was, you know, a, a loud minority that couldn't stand both of them versus, you know, a loud, significant majority. And the numbers came back where basically Dan had an approval rating of like five and Bruce had an approval rating of six and it totally blew them away. I was told they were very surprised by the results. And I think they had lived in this world of like harvest fest and draft day parties. Parties and, you know, when you're on the road playing a road game, the Saturday night little rally that they would have, and they convinced themselves that that was very much representative of the fan base as a whole. But in recent years, things like th- that approval rating, the empty stadiums, the unbelievably poor television ratings, he's got to know now what has happened to this once unbelievably successful and proud franchise. And I just wonder, how can he be having any fun being the most you know, despised person that isn't political in the history of this town? It couldn't have been, and it can't be now, very easy for the family. I agree with you totally, but, but let's look at it this way. From where he is today... He says, "Look, I'm gonna I'm gonna hire Jason Wright, the highest uh, African American in, in in football. I'm gonna hire the first, the highest female in football. I'm gonna change our." So someone started giving him good advice. Someone started the the recent hires have made the team look good. If you don't look just at the very top of the head, they're shoulders down. Ron Rivera. I mean, so he's done the right actions now, and he's thinking. He's thinking, if Ryan Fitzpatrick hadn't gotten hurt, 
and we were able to go 10 and 7, and we snuck, and I got a Super Bowl, and then I'm a hero again. He's a Ryan Fitzpatrick sack away from being a hero in this town in his mind. Um, and he'll always be a Ryan Fitzpatrick sack away in his mind from being a hero in this town. And so he's going nowhere. Unfortunately, we'll all, I think we all feel criminal. We'll always have one Ryan Fitzpatrick sack too many. Uh, so we're going nowhere. And there's the state of the Washington franchise. All right. Summing up, you were at zero percent that he isn't the owner um, moving forward yesterday. You're at one in five, 20 percent today. And it's just because of the Goodell mistakes and what they could potentially open up. But there still has to be something there when these things potentially are opened up. And what the something there, I agree with you that other than the 1.6 incident, there is nothing that ties directly to Dan Snyder, but is there something that ties that is so overwhelming on the toxic environment that there's an embarrassment on and a news story day after day pounding the league to where the league finally has to say, Dan, you need to take one for the other 31 now. Uh, we, we just can't hold this anymore. Is the man, could the management misconduct, the management ignorance, the management naivety, reach a level where the league finally says someone's going over. It might be Goodell. It might be Pash. And it might be uh, Dan. But is there at some point where the ethics group um, says, you know, we, we can't hold this line anymore? Well, what did it with the name was money. You know, it was FedEx. It was PepsiCo. It was Bank of America. It was all of these big corporate league and team sponsors that said no more with the name. And we always felt like the only way it would ever change was if it was going to cost the league big money, if corporations and partners and business partners of the league said, sorry, we're out if this name doesn't change. And I kind of think that ultimately it only changes if somebody says, I can't participate with this team or I can't participate as a major corporate sponsor if Dan Snyder... Uh, is still overseeing um, the Washington football team franchise. And I don't know if that'll happen. See, but it doesn't have, but it's not enough to happen at the team level because the revenues come from the TV contract. The only way this can happen is if national football yes. sponsors right. pull out because of Dan, and that's an awfully big one. That's uh-huh. an awfully big one to get past the NFL sponsorship because of one owner. Yeah, not to mention they've got others lined up that'll take the place of those that might be leaving. Um, This was great, as always. I'm always uh, uh, appreciative of the time and enjoy the conversation. And, you know, as I've told you before, Belgium's one of my favorite trips ever. I think we're planning something in the next couple of years to go back over there, to go to Amsterdam, to go to Brussels. Um, and, uh, you know, I will certainly, um, talk to you well before then. Do you have, before I let you go, cause you've always got, you know, a story from something in the past that ends up being, uh, incredibly interesting. Um, what's, what's been on your mind? What's the latest story you've told somebody that maybe you haven't told me or, or, or the audience here? Kevin, I'm still doing mainly politics. I have a Saturday morning show on Odyssey uh, in Richmond. On As I see, I still do politics. And I've still been calling the 2024 race. So most of my stories go in politics and never mix them with sports. 
So if you want to know who's next president, we'll talk offline. Well, you you told me the last time um, on the podcast or on the radio show, I forget. You told me that your your bet was a Haley Pompeo Republican ticket. Are you still on that? No, 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 no. Come on, we'll go back and we'll go back and play it. So since just since the day of the last election, yeah, I explained that the the 2024 Republican ticket I had to change it a couple weeks later because the Vogue piece came out was Trump uh, Haley. And Haley got replaced there. So it wasn't Haley Pompeo. I own the domain names Trump Haley is what I owned. Okay. Remember, I owned Biden Harris. I owned Biden Harris. I owned Trump Haley. And I had to replace that with Trump DeSantis or Trump Gnome, uh, which are ones I own. Um, so that's the Republican ticket. And then I've got Harris Warner and Harris Murphy on the Democrat side. Um, and uh, it may well be. That Dan's in good stead again because it may well be that Donald Trump's back in the back in the White House. Uh, well, I, I didn't mean to get uh, you mixed up with somebody. There, I have a couple of friends that I have conversations with about you know guessing the twenty twenty four. Um, race and for I I could have sworn that you were the Haley Pompeo ticket, but but I I, I... Haley Pompeo as the vice president. Okay, in the got clubhouse. it, got it. Um, I thought you also um gave me Tim Scott uh as that may have been another friend too that 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 you were that you had placed a wager or it secured some sort of URL for Scott Haley. I thought it was. That's not you either. Oh. Uh... That a lot of people are. I just don't believe me. It's Donald at the top of the ticket. Then the question is number two. He's got to run out of New Jersey for it to be DeSantis. But that's his strongest ticket. He may take Christy Nome from North Dakota. And you think DeSantis would actually be a VP candidate for him rather than trying to get the. Yes. But you, you think that that would come after he makes a run at the nomination? Uh, DeSantis and DeSantis and Haley will not challenge Trump when if Trump runs. The only one who said he will is Mike Pence. Uh, this was fun, as always. Howard Gutman, everybody. Um, one of the smartest guys in Washington and the most popular ambassador to Belgium, American ambassador in history, uh, which is true. They did a poll on that. Um, thank you. I'll talk to you soon. All the best, Kevin. Take good care. All right, up next, 30 years ago tonight, the 1991 Washington Redskins faced their biggest test of the season was one of the most anticipated regular season games in Washington football team history. We'll go down 30 years ago, memory lane, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show 
by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, this segment presented by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.com or MyBookie.ag and take advantage of this opportunity on Friday night. An NBA game between the Mavericks and the Nuggets. When they score a bucket, and they will, you win. That's a lock. This is the biggest lock of all time. Superstars like Jokic and Doncic going head-to-head Friday night won't take more than a minute of the game before your bet cashes. And that's not all. You'll get paid Friday, wake up Saturday, and throw down on UFC 267. On Saturday night, MyBookie is giving all users a $100 risk-free wager on the light heavyweight championship main event. So don't wait. Head to MyBookie.com now. Use my promo code KevinDC, and MyBookie will instantly double your first deposit. That's promo code KevinDC at MyBookie.ag or MyBookie.com. So you can double your funds to double your winnings. I've mentioned before, if the promo code already has something written in it, when you go to sign up, erase it and put Kevin DC in there and you'll get the benefit of some of the offers that my bookie is making. All right, let's continue where we left off, I think, two weeks ago, and that is continuing to go down memory lane 30 years ago, the 1991 Washington Redskins, the greatest team in franchise history, one of the great Super Bowl winners of all time. Uh, We match up uh, week by week uh, 30 years ago, and 30 years ago tonight, Washington was 7-0 and on the road to face, after their bye week, the New York football giants, the defending Super Bowl champions. This was one of the most anticipated regular season matchups of the season, really one of the most anticipated regular season matchups in recent years. It also came, ironically, on Sunday Night Football on ESPN. There was also a Game 7 of the World Series going on between the 1991 uh, Braves uh, and the 1991 Minnesota Twins, one of the famous Game 7s of all time. Uh, This was the Game 7 pitch by Jack Morris, who led Minnesota to a 1-0 Game 7 win over the Atlanta Braves. Simultaneous with that game was Washington and the Giants in the Meadowlands. 7-0 Washington against 4-3 New York, but the defending champion New York Giants, who had beaten Washington six times in a row heading into that game. You'll recall back then, during the mid-80s into the early 90s, Washington-New York was as big a rivalry as there was in the NFL. It had almost superseded Washington-Dallas as the biggest rivalry in the NFL. Those two teams playing monumental games year in and year out. The only problem with the rivalry at the time is that the Giants were really dominating it. The Giants had had won six in a row. The last time Washington had beaten New York came in the 1987 season when they actually um, uh, swept New York that particular year. That was the year Washington won the Super Bowl. Then you had back-to-back 49er Super Bowls, and then the Giants in 1990 ended the 49ers' attempt at a three-peat, winning the Super Bowl with Jeff Hostetler over the Buffalo Bills in Tampa. 1991 was Washington's turn. And Washington, with that six-game losing streak 
against the Giants as a 7-0 team went to New York and initially was an underdog in the game as a 7-0 team against the 4-3 and Giants. They went off as a slight favorite in the game. The Meadowlands jacked up for this game loud as hell, and the Giants dominated the first half of the game. Uh, they outscored Washington 13 to nothing and racked up 207 yards to just 35 for Washington in the first half. So the Skins down 13 nothing uh, at halftime, got on a roll in the second half, a memorable second half, and it started with an incredible long drive that started deep in their territory in the third quarter, 13 to nothing. Let's pick up the call on a third and goal at the Giants' seven-yard line. Late third quarter, Mike Patrick and Joe Theismann on the call. This is the 20th, count them, 20th play of this drive, and we only have 47 seconds to go in the third quarter. Rippin' Clark, touchdown. It took 20 plays for the Washington Redskins to finally get a drive that would put points on the board. So that made it 13 to 7, and they were pumped up and they had some momentum. Game went into the early fourth quarter after a stop. Washington got the ball back at midfield. Brian Mitchell with a really good punt return. And they had a second down and 11 from their own 46-yard line, down 13-7 early in the fourth quarter. This is what they did well all season long, was throw the bomb. Here it is, ripping to Gary Clark. There the score by totals. The Skins can score like a machine in the fourth quarter, and the Giants have given up 51 in the fourth quarter. That's one of the worst in the league. Griffin. Clark is open. Touchdown. Everson Walls, a step behind. And for the second time in the game, Mark Griffin put the bomb right in the hands of Gary Clark. But he caught this. Well, they ran it with a little roll to the right the first time. This time they ran it with a little roll to the left. Griffin just sets and fires. Clark's on the outside. Everson's looking in, looking in. He says, oh, no. Can't run like he used to at the corner. That time he just peaked a little too long. Gary Clark has four touchdown catches on the year in the top ten in catches and yardage in the NFC. And Miller puts the Redskins on top. What a comeback so far for Mark Rippon and the Redskins offense. Down 13-0. Now they lead it by one. You can find the highlight yourself on YouTube. Just Google 1991 Giants versus Redskins. That was sort of a dash, sprint left. Rippon turns his body, throws deep, and nobody threw a better deep ball. Not then than Mark Rippon did, and nobody was a better deep threat than Gary Clark. They had a 14-13 lead. Uh, They got the ball back. They drove the field. They kicked a field goal, 17-13, with about a minute to go. The Giants in desperation mode in the final few seconds, trying to get in range to at least attempt a Hail Mary, and this is what happened. 
25 seconds left. The thing that you did not hear Mike Patrick or Joe Theismann say on that call of the Wilbur Marshall interception is that Marshall pitched the ball before he went down to Alvoid Mays, number 20. Um, and Mays did the right thing and got down. But Marshall had the interception to clinch the game, and he's pitching the ball backwards to Alvoid Mays. Uh, but Washington had really done something that uh, they needed to do. They needed to end the streak six in a row to the Giants. Rippon said after the game, he said, quote, we knew it was a chance to pretty much eliminate them from the division title race. You'd have to say we're in the driver's seat right now, but we're not forgetting there are eight games left. It certainly takes one monkey off our back, closed quote. This was huge for Washington to end the streak against the Giants, to beat the Giants, the Ray Hanley Giants, not the Parcells Giants, the Ray Hanley Giants, but to beat the Giants in that spot, increase their division lead by four games over the Giants, pretty much putting them into a real difficult position to come back and win the division. They had a three-game lead on the Cowboys, who they had already beaten once at that point. That was Jimmy's first good team, the 1991 team. They would go on to go to the playoffs, uh, win a wild card game, and then lose to the Lions in the divisional round. The Lions ultimately ended up being Washington's NFC championship opponent. But Washington had outgained the Giants 254 uh, 219 to 64, excuse me, and outscored them 17 nothing in the second half to totally turn the tables on New York. Uh, in the Meadowlands. A huge win for them. First time in 55 years they had had a perfect record through eight games, and they took control of the NFC East uh, at the halfway mark. Now, they had a huge game the following week. On November 3rd, 1991, Jack Pardee's Houston Oilers came to RFK Stadium as a 7-1 football team against Washington, who was 8-0. But we'll do that uh, next week. Ricky Irvins, by the way, had a huge game uh, in the win over the Giants. He had really busted out the game before against Cleveland with 133 yards rushing. He had 20 carries for 82 yards. The rookie from USC was starting to become you know, more of a prominent featured back along with Ernest Biner and Gerald Riggs. You know, the carries for Riggs were starting to go downhill a little bit. Um, but Rippon didn't have a huge night statistically, but what a second half. Uh, the two touchdown passes to Gary Clark. Clark only had three catches on the night for 70 yards, but two of them were for touchdowns. Uh, there you go. 30 years ago tonight, a massive NFL game that was going head-to-head with Game 7 of the World Series between the Twins and the Braves. Uh, but Washington got the win, ended the streak against the Giants, and were 8 and oh. All right. Uh, one last thing to get to when we come back, and that is some breaking NFL news, which really puts tomorrow night's game, one of the games of the year, one of the anticipated games of the year, in a little bit of jeopardy. We'll do that right after these words from a few of our sponsors.
just a reminder, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, it'll help us if you do that. It doesn't cost you a thing. Rate us and review us wherever you can as well. I know there have been some issues with Apple specifically in getting the podcast out in a timely manner. We're not the only podcast um, that, ha- that has had that issue. I listen to every podcast I listen to through Apple as well on my phone. Just remember that the KevinSheehanShow.com, the KevinSheehanShow.com, our website, will always have it up there um, in a timely manner. Uh, Typically, everybody gets it at the same time, but if for whatever reason you think you should already have the show, and occasionally we get it out later than we want to get it out, but typically it's going to be available early afternoon, um, sometimes late morning, sometimes mid-afternoon. I understand that. Um, sometimes that's just because the guest that we wanted on the show wasn't available, um, and I felt like it was worth waiting for that person. But whatever. Um, it, just know that the KevinSheehanShow.com will have the show um, always, even if your normal uh, place for listening to a podcast doesn't have it in a timely manner. Rate us and review us wherever you can as well. All right, so a couple of things just to finish up the show. Tomorrow night, Arizona-Green Bay and what should have been one of the games of the year. Undefeated Cardinals at home against the 6-1 and one Packers. Well, you, we know from yesterday that Devontae Adams uh, tested positive for COVID-19. In, and even though there is a possibility that he could get two negative tests within a 24-hour period as a vaccinated player and be uh, available Thursday night. Um, certainly Matt LaFleur and others are acting as if they're not going to have Devontae Adams, not on the short week heading into the Thursday night game. They're also going to be without Alan Lazard. He also is on the COVID-19 list. Lazard had five big catches for 60 yards in the game on Sunday against Washington. And um, uh, Valdez Scantling, their receiver who's missed the last four games while being on injured reserve with a hamstring, hamstring injury, might play, um, but they're not certain about that. By the way, Joe Barry, their defensive coordinator, former Washington defensive coordinator, is also on the COVID-19 uh, list as well. So this game is headed towards being the first game of the year significantly impacted by COVID-19 with primarily ba- based on at least uh, what's been reported, vaccinated players um, and coaches. I mean, Joe Barry would not be a coach on the sideline for this particular team if he were not vaccinated. Uh, Anyway, it's a shame uh, because tomorrow night's game really looked like a heavyweight matchup. You'll have Aaron Rodgers still out there for the Packers as far as we know. You'll have Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon uh, and, you know, Robert Tanyan. And if they can get, you know, uh, Valdez Scantling back, that would be big. But if not, it's going to be, you know, St. Brown. Um, it'll be Killen Hill. Uh, it'll be Cobb. Um, it'll be a shell of what they have been working with primarily at wide receiver. And without De- Devontae Adams, obviously, you know, debatably the best receiver in the game, uh, it'll be a big uh, loss for them. But uh, anyway, that's one thing. Um, Brandon Sheriff was back at practice today, so it's possible that Washington will have Brandon Sheriff back in the lineup uh, Sunday uh, in Denver. Uh, And then there is this report that the Carolina Panthers, I guess, are out of the uh, Deshaun Watson Um, sweepstakes. They are not going to seek a trade for Deshaun Watson, according to reports. 
um, before the trade deadline. Uh, despite the fact that Sam Darnold hasn't been playing well. Uh, but there are still reports that the Dolphins are involved. But the Dolphins owner, Stephen Ross, wants to understand that, A, Deshaun Watson is going to be uh, cleared or settled on all of these charges, and, B, that the commissioner is not going to suspend him for a significant amount of time. Those are going to be big things for Stephen Ross. Now, as far as Washington goes, uh, Ron Rivera has said, and a lot of the local beat reporters have said, that Washington uh, is not going to be in on Deshaun Watson. The, it would be a tough organization for um, Deshaun Watson to come to. Remember, Deshaun Watson also has a no-trade clause, so he can dictate pretty much where he wants to go. Now, if he wants to play and he's going to be cleared of these 22 civil lawsuits, or I'm sorry, he's going to be settled on the 22 civil lawsuits, and then the criminal complaints that have come out recently somehow were to get dropped, and the commissioner only suspends him for four to six games. Um, Would Washington be uh, interested? I don't know. I think they should be. Um, At this point, how much lower can you go um, in terms of damage uh, control? Their reputation is as low as it's ever been, and it's never been very high to begin with. Um, ultimately, this team has to find a quarterback that is eligible to play and is great to sort of take them somewhere off of rock bottom. Without that or without an ownership change, it's just more likely than not never going to happen. I would not be against Deshaun Watson coming here, but again, I'd want to know that he's cleared. Um, I want to know that everything is settled. I'd also want to know that he is not addicted you know, that there, there would have to be some sort of evaluation of him mentally and psychologically to give comfort that this isn't going to happen in a new city um, with Deshaun Watson traveling all around town looking for happy ending places. So uh, you'd want to know that. You'd certainly want to know what kind of suspension is coming as well. But Deshaun Watson... You know, before all of the things happened to him related to this, you know, all of the allegations, all of, uh, you know, all of the, the the smoke and fire around this, obviously, with 22, you know, women plus more who have now filed criminal uh, complaints. Um, I think Deshaun Watson would have been a, a player I would have gone after very aggressively. At the time, I said, there isn't anything that I wouldn't trade for him. I mean, within reason. But, you know, three firsts, two seconds, and a player, sign me up. For Matt Stafford, I was all in for, you know, a significant number of picks, two firsts, you know, a, a, a third, and, you know, Matt Ioannidis. Didn't want to trade Chase Young in the Matt Stafford deal, but – more I think about it, you know, now Matt Stafford would have been a big difference maker, even on this team with a bad defense. He would have been. I think he would have been responsible for at least one more win. So you're three and four, maybe two, and you're four and three. Uh, but that's just my opinion. Anyway, um, all right, we're done for the day. Uh, back tomorrow with Tommy.